This is the Kavnis HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Kavnis. Hello, and welcome to the Kavnis HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Our guest today is Dr. Cheryl Ingram. Dr. Ingram, are you ready to be great today? Yes. Dr. Cheryl Ingram is a CEO and founder of Diverse City LLC and Inclusiology, has specialized in diversity, equity, and inclusion work for 17 years. Working with such clients as Netflix, University of Washington, Uber, Ada Develops Academy, and the Greater Seattle Business Association. Expertise helps companies increase transparency and awareness ending the discriminatory practices and biases to create more positive, productive work environments. Cheryl has been awarded New Business of the Year in 2017. So Cheryl, give us some background on how you started your company. Sure. So I actually, I started my company because I, I had been working in different components uh, that dealt with diversity, equity, and inclusion, and even what we call multiculturalism in higher education. And from working in that background, I just saw so many different forms of discrimination that you could see a human being face, Jason, like daily in their lives, whether it was conscious or unconscious, it was coming at people like left and right, front to back. And so I really got to a place where I was really tired of seeing people being mistreated because of their identities and who they are. And I cashed in this 401k that I had built up over a short amount of time. And I grabbed my business license and I took the methodologies that I had been using already because I was doing consultancy on the side for some businesses. And decided to just launch my own company and do my own thing because I wanted to approach discrimination a lot quicker than I saw it happening currently in corporate America and in education. So Cheryl, you had a post I think on LinkedIn where you said you created a life with playing poker. Everyone doesn't get the same amount of chips. Can you expand on that? I really like that analogy you use. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so I talk. I like to talk to people about privilege, unearned privilege, right? Because human beings, those are the two types of privileges that human beings have. And most people don't understand. They think that, you know, meritocracy, if you work hard, get a good job, have education, you'll live a quality life. And people have to understand that we're not all playing. We might all be playing the same game, but we come in with different chips. And when I say those chips, they represent like different identity components that you have that create barriers that might allow you to be treated equitably or equally in a workplace or in an educational system. So that could be your race your age, your sexual orientation, your gender identity, your size, I mean, your height, your physical appearance, whether or not you have an accent to someone, all those things can create barriers for people in the workplace. We have multiple components or multiple intersections of those. Then you have multiple barriers that some people who might be running the same race, those are hurdles that they don't have to jump. Or if they're in poker, those are, the rules don't apply depending on what your identity looks like. And so when I made that statement, I wanted people to understand that, you know, you think we're all on the same journey we have very different trails that we walk depending on who we are. So for example, you have one, one child, they have two parents, the parents have a combined income of say $100,000, another child, single parent, and that person makes like maybe 24000 I also have different chips. Is that what you're saying, correct? Yep. That's one component of it, Jason. I mean, today, even today, I was reading an article by the New York Times and it talked about how, for example, young black men, if they have whether they are poor or the same parents, they end up almost with, with the same future, highly dependent just on race. And it's just amazing that people don't under, really want to understand or don't know that those things impact the quality of life that you have. So you, you might have seen this, I think it's on Facebook or LinkedIn about a month ago, where there's a, a male and female co-workers and the females complain all the crap crap they take on email. And they got like, you're making this, so there's no way you have to do all this. So they switch emails and the lady's like, oh my God, I was, people are so respectful for me. I've had an idea. They went with it. No questioning. Guy was like, this is the worst two weeks of my life. 
People asked me out on dates. They were kind of sending. They asked me to get verification from a boss. And I just thought that was very interesting, the experiment they did. That's right. I do remember that. I mean, people, I mean, and sometimes you want to think that people don't believe it because they don't experience it or they want to believe that we live in a world where people don't still don't do those things or no longer do those things. And they don't understand how prevalent some of those things still are, depending on who you are and where you come from. I know recently the thing on LinkedIn has been, I, I think it's crazy. A lot of females are saying like guys are hitting on them on, on LinkedIn. I'm like, I can understand maybe Facebook, but LinkedIn, like this is craziness right here. Everyone's saying this happening. So like, that's this, are you kidding me? Yeah, that is so prevalent, Jason. I have a, a lots of female colleagues and I, I'm members of groups and we have those conversations daily about the things that we experience on LinkedIn. Sometimes when they go on job interviews or just use the word crazy, it is, it's never surprising sometimes how people use those things. So Cheryl, is there a certain size company, a certain industry that you target with your company? Yeah, we do. We target about 80% of our clients. Our goal is for them to come from tech in some way, shape or form. And then 20%, we would we like nonprofits and educational institutions. And that is because that population is growing so quickly. And with the population changing the way that it is, and by, you know, 2040, 2060, depending on what data you look like, you look at over 51% of the United States is going to be what they would call diverse populations. So you see these populations growing and you see more companies donating money specifically to STEM for children in underrepresented populations to prepare them for the future. And I'm thinking if those companies are going to grow and those populations are going to be entering the workplace, you should probably start to fix the culture that you have created now so that you make it more inclusive by the time that they get there so they don't have to struggle because of their identity. So we, we, we target tech. Have you found that tech is more open to what you're trying to do versus, we'll say, like a traditional company? No, <laughs> it's not. We probably get some of the most resistance in tech. It was at first surprising to see because you would think with how fast they are growing that they would be more welcoming to inclusion and diversity and equity. But it's not. I mean, we, I go there, for example, Jason, I did an info session once at a company very recently and we were promoting diversity, equity, inclusion. I was explaining to them what we call DEI 101, which is diversity, equity, inclusion 101. What does it look like in your company? What should you be thinking about? And at the end of the session, there was a, there was a room of eight people. And at the end of the session, the VP that was in the room a white male said to me, that was a great presentation. You're very articulate and you're smarter than you look. <laughs> you think to yourself like, oh my goodness, if he has said this to if he's saying this to me, I'm sure he says this to other people on a regular basis. And we run into microaggressions and just aggressions and like that all the time, especially in tech, as opposed to like our educational institutions and our nonprofits. It's, the resistance is definitely more prevalent. I'm sure you've seen a picture that's out there where there's like five white guys and there's a caption, CEO of a text company. We appreciate diversity and thought and background or something like that, you know? Yeah. Diversity. And, you know, in tech, it has, that's interesting that you brought that up, Jason, because in tech, the conversation about diversity of thought is definitely more prevalent than it is in other fields and industries. And people don't understand that diversity of thought comes from diversity in your identity. Because the way that you think and the way that you grow up is he sometimes heavily related to who you are, specifically race and gender identity and even sexual orientation and age. People say, oh, we just want you to think differently. It's like, well, in order to think differently, sometimes you come from different backgrounds. And you have to have lived different lives to understand what solutions are needed in order to support different communities. So diversity of thought should be laced in race age, gender identity, all of those things. But people don't want to have that conversation. They, they use it as an excuse instead. So Cheryl, do you believe a company can ever become totally diverse and have an environment of no discrimination, harassment, or no other negative behavior? Is this attainable? 
I do. I like to believe that. And I'm, I'm building systems that I hope will continue to perpetuate that and make it sustainable. I don't, I mean, if I were not an optimistic, if I weren't optimistic about that, Jason, what I see in companies daily, I would say no. But I, I'd like to believe that someday our, our society will get to a place where that is no longer the case. Hopefully you're correct on that assumption. So Farrell, what do you do? You work on the company and, the, and you realize this company is just taking a box. They're not really involved. They don't care. They're just taking this box because somebody's making them do it. What do, you, what do you do in that situation? There's a couple of ways to assess that. I mean, the worst case scenario, we end up walking away from a company. We've done that once out of the 17 clients that we've had. I've had one client where we decided that it just was not a good fit because they didn't really want to do the work after they found out what the issues were. And so in that case, you know, we'll decide to leave. But if we are in a space where people say, we just want you to come in and do diversity, diversity work, and you do start to see the change in the way that people perceive diversity, then you know that it's worth taking the risk and putting in the work in order to help the people that work in that company that are suffering. But if you look at it and people are just not very, or just very resistant, and they don't actually want the diversity work, then it's, it's probably time to keep it moving. Cheryl, can you talk about a time you were successful success in the past, what you learned or where we can learn from the success you had? I can't. We, um, I remember we went into a company once and they were losing employees and specifically women of color, predominantly uh, African-American, Black and Latina, Latinx women and at a substantial rate. And we went in and we did a diversity assessment and we looked at all the things that might be contributing to the fact that these women did not want to work in this, in this work environment. And it was very, there was some toxicity in that company culture. And so we did our assessment. We created long-term and short-term goals for them for up to three years for them to fix. And I think that one of the things that we definitely learned throughout that process, and it was one of our very early engagements, was just how much the difference was in the way that people perceive the experience of people who work in a workplace, especially if they don't experience those things. So for example, I mean, these women were... We're facing discrimination from their co-workers, from their managers, I mean, from leaders in the company and anybody you could think of. And some people just couldn't believe it, right? There was no way that that was happening to those people, kind of like the man that we talked about earlier with the email, Jason. And it was just like, it was phenomenal to see that when you raise that awareness, how people respond. Our key learnings there was to meet people where they are. There are people in the company and even especially those with influence who if they have no idea what diversity, equity, and inclusion means, but they use those terms, they'll never know how to implement it correctly. And so I think one of our learnings was a little bit of patience because there were so many people at so many different places among that staff. But we saw the retention rate increase by 75% after the first year. And so, you know, to be able to go into that and to know that our work was making a difference, because sometimes when you're in the thick of it, Jason, it doesn't always feel like that's happening. And then you see the outcomes and you know that the work that you're doing is meaningful and impactful. That kind of thing, those kind of things keep you going. So I think we learned a lot about our processes and our policies. And we learned a lot about even our methodology and, and meeting people in diff at different places. And I think we, I even hired more consultants after that who specialized in different areas in order to make sure that we were, we were doing that accurately. Sure. Uh, do you mainly work with companies in the Seattle area or are you, are you nationwide? Nationwide, our first company was actually in New Mexico, where I went to college while I was here in Seattle. I was working with that company, but we are open to working with companies across the globe. Cheryl, next, talk about a time you failed, what you learned from this failure, and what, more importantly, what we can learn from this. Ah, oh, when I read that question, I just shook my head because you know how you have those memories that put you back in that place. When I first started my consultancy, I was so nervous and so scared, Jason, because 
you know, you as an entrepreneur, you're like, how am I going to survive? Right? Like, I know my company needs money. I'm now living where I don't know when I'm going to get paid. I don't have a salary. Like a first time entrepreneur, no money. And I remember I was taking multiple accounts, just taking on accounts to make sure that you know, we was financially above water. And I'll never forget that I was with one account and I would submit things like training to these people, like my content, and they would change it and I let them do it. And I think that one of the things I learned is that sometimes when you work in diversity as a consultant, people, even though they have good intentions, sometimes just want you to come in and teach their staff what you want to teach them. They don't want to learn what they want you to teach them, teach their staff. And so I let those people kind of own my curriculum. I taught what they told me to teach. I assessed the way that they told me to assess. And I was the most disappointing thing because I promised myself I would never do that again because the outcomes that we had gotten in that engagement were positive, but still not as good as they could have been if I would have just held my ground and believed in what it was that I was doing. And I didn't do that. And I think that one thing I definitely learned and to any consultant out there is know the balance of finding your no and when to tell a client no. Because that was my biggest lesson. I made sure I will never, ever do that again. That's great advice. I think people forget when you have a business, you got to qualify your customers too. Every customer is not a right customer for you, regardless of what amount of money they might pay you. That's right. I know you bet you can go back in time and change all that, don't you? Like, what were you doing back then? That's right. I like, what was I thinking, Jason? And then uh, to even sometimes when I'm at a, in a meeting with the client and they're telling me what they think should happen, I remember that moment. Because I'm like, remember... What happened last time, you let that go by. So it's been like my greatest lesson and, and it always comes back, always. Farrell, next, talk about someone who's helping the past and how they helped you. You know, this morning I had written a letter to my English teacher in high school, my senior English teacher. And the reason I thought about her, when the, and this question, when you sent me the question, actually made me do it. And I thought about her because she was the first person that kind of made me see my potential. Like in high school, you know, I was always kind of smart and working hard and I just loved education. And she kind of, she was a person that held me after class one day and, and said to me, you know, like you have the potential to do great things in the world. She was like, you have the potential to be a great leader. You just need to really show up and give your best, at, you know, every time. She's like, no matter what the components are, like, I know you're black. I know you're poor. I know you're going through these things. And she kind of really had that conversation with me. And then throughout my senior year, she wrote every, she wrote a recommendation letter for every scholarship that I applied to, for every college I applied to. She sometimes stayed after with me to fill out those applications. Like she made me join her Latin club. And it was just like that first person in my life outside of my family that really made me think about the fact that there was something great in store for me. And now that, you know, I'm here, I'm in this place where I have these two businesses and one is scaling and the other one is coming up and growing. It was interesting for me to think about her because that was the first real conversation I'd ever had in my education about my potential. People don't realize that there's a lot of kids out there who don't have that mentor helping them out, you know, and that just is such a disadvantage. That's right. That's a great story. Can you tell us something about you that most people don't know? Of course, your close friends, close family know this, but people that work with you on a day-to-day basis or know you on a day-to-day basis don't know this about you. That I played rugby for four years in college. Oh, wow. That's, that's different. That's interesting. <laughs> most people don't know that until I tell them. Four years, it was, were you on a scholarship or was it just a, a intramural? Yeah, it's a club team. Club team, okay. Did you play in high school also? No, I did not. I had learned about rugby in college, and I remember we went to the Sweet 16s in rugby and everything, and it was the first time I had ever played rugby. It was a great experience. Cheryl, understand you have a book to recommend for our listeners. Yes. So the one book I would recommend, I just finished reading it in December of last year. It was called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. 
that book is an amazing book. And I think that that really taught me some things about, especially as an entrepreneur, what to care more about and to care less about and help me find that balance especially when stress comes, you can run a business. Some of the things that you don't really need to give a fuck about at that time, I would recommend that book to anybody. That's a great lesson because, I mean, you're an entrepreneur. You can't worry about people liking you or not liking you. So you got you to take care of business. Cheryl, I also understand you have something for our listeners today. A gift, yes. So I, for the first 20 people that reach out to me on social media or email or whatever, I will give you a free 15-minute consult about diversity, equity, and inclusion, whether you are looking for a job in the field or if you work in a company and you're starting to have those conversations. If you're interested in learning more about training, I am happy to give you a 15-minute consult. All you have to do is reach out and it's free. Thank you. Cheryl, can you provide us your social media links so people can reach out to you? Sure. So on Twitter, it's Diverse City LLC, and it's the same on Instagram, and it's Diverse, and then the word City, LLC, no spaces. On Twitter, I also have Dr. C.I. Official, and it's the letter C, letter I, Official. And I have Inclusology on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram also. So all of my accounts are either Diverse City, Inclusology, or Dr. C.I. Official, and that's also on Facebook. And for listeners, we'll have all these links and the link to our book recommendation on the show notes. Cheryl, is, are you in the company by yourself? You have people that work for you right now. I do. I have seven people that work with me in Diverse City, and I have three people that work with me in Inclusology. So I want you to tell us any your secrets, but how do you hire people? Like, how do you know this person is the right fit for you, what you're trying to do? Is it, you give them like, some kind of skills test or just talk to them? Or, cause I'm sure everybody has different opinions, and I'm sure you want to make sure their, their opinions match here. So how do you go about doing that? Yeah, you know, I, I vet people. I'm big on like, especially for my consultants at Diverse City, um, I've usually, I've seen them train or I've paid attention to something that they have hosted or we've attended workshops and seminars together and I'm looking for people. And sometimes people who think differently than me, but still want to do the work that I'm doing and have the right heart. Like they, they're in it because they love it and they want to see change and they might have a difference of opinion than me. I'm not always looking for a culture fit. I'm not looking for a cultural addition because I don't believe in, in culture fit. And so, and people can really help me shape a inclusive culture that have experiences that I don't. And I'm also always looking for diverse candidates and that that's visible and invisible candidates. Like what gifts or talents do you have that you can bring to the table to help me change the world and make it a better place? That's the most important to me is the passion and the skill set. Fair, we'll come to the end of our talk. Can you provide the listeners any last minute advice on wisdom on any subject you want to cover? Last minute advice. I, I, this morning I posted something about some of the greatest lessons that I've learned. And one is to always be authentic. Stay true to who you are. But the one thing that I my greatest lesson is know that sometimes who you are will change depending on where your destiny is and where it is that you are going. So that change, that one thing in our lives that's constant is change. So be willing to grow, be willing to learn and be willing to share that knowledge with, with others. Because if you don't, the knowledge is useless if you're the only person learning from it. And be authentic to yourself and make sure to turn your wounds into wisdom and be kind to others. That reminds me of a quote from Charles Barkley a little while ago. He said, if you're the same person today you were 30 years ago, you've wasted your life. Yep, I agree. So Cheryl, thank you for being a guest. You give us a lot of value, advice, and we appreciate your time doing a lot of great things. To, to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Kavnis HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit KavnisHR.com or connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook at Kavnis HR. Thanks again, and be great every day.